Daniel chapter 6 tonight, we'll just be doing this chapter. Um, Again, just for a way of introduction and remembering, Daniel, like Revelation, is divided into three divisions. Um, Chapter 1, when Daniel is taken with his three friends to um, Babylon. Chapter 1 is the first division, it's written in Hebrew. The second division of the book where we find ourselves this evening is chapters two through seven. Um, That is in Aramaic because it deals with um, the Gentile nations prophetically. And then when we get to eight through 12, it reverts back to uh, the Hebrew. Um, In this chapter, we will see Daniel, but his three friends aren't here. Uh, he's going to be called on the carpet because there's going to be an edict that you can only pray and worship the king. And of course, Daniel's not going to do that. But um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't mentioned in chapter 6. But in chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are mentioned, Daniel isn't. And if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I'm sure um, um, were there, uh, they would have followed, but for some reason, the Lord has chose to keep them out of being mentioned in this chapter. Chapters three and six, therefore, uh, give two aspects of the preservation of the remnant, both of Israel and of the Gentiles during the Great Tribulation. So again, a lot of what we're going to be studying is going to deal with um, um, New Testament reality, Old Testament picture. So this is sort of going to be a picture tonight. In chapter 3, the emphasis is upon the pressures which were brought to bear by human hatred and persecution. However, in this chapter, the emphasis, rather, is going to be about satanic hatred and persecution. Um, we have, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down 1 Peter 5, 8, the idea of being thrown to the lions. Uh, Peter picks up on and uses it as an analogy in the New Testament. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking who he may devour. That's how the book of Job starts when the angels and Lucifer present themselves before the Lord, the Lord said, where have you been? Oh, walking to and fro on the earth and observing, oh, have you considered my servant Job? Nobody like him. Well, in this chapter, Daniel sticks out in the Bible because there is absolutely nothing bad said about Daniel. And as far as I know, he's the only person in scripture Um, Even though Job had a lot of things going for him, uh, he realized that um, he was misjudging his situation that he was in. And therefore, there was error, but nothing is is, uh, uh, negatively spoken of against uh, Daniel. And Peter uh, ties this into 1 Peter 5, verse 8. You and I today are living in a lion's cage. The cage is the world, and there's a big, roaring lion prowling up and down the cage. Peter calls him our adversary, the devil. 
Now, I want to begin the study by going back to chapter 5 and reading the last two verses because we're going to have a change from the Babylonian kingdom to the Medo-Persian kingdom. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 30, it says, That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, or Babylon, he was slain. And it says, And Darius the Mede received the kingdom about 62 years of old. So we have a a change of command. Uh, With the opening of this chapter, we have again moved ahead historically. The kingdom of Babylon, the head of gold, has now disappeared. It has been removed from the number one spot in the world. Instead of Babylon, we now have the Medo-Persian Empire, which is represented by the arms of silver in the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2. Darius is second of, of secular history, and he ruled for only two years. And then Cyrus, who will be the last person we talk about in verse 28, the last verse of chapter 6, um, Cyrus, who followed him, was the son of Darius's sister. Um, and this was what brought the empire together into the Medo-Persian Empire. Not just the Medes, not just the Persian but a combination of the two of them, which now is ruling the world. So chapter six um, begins with, we'll just look at the first three verses. We've gone from Babylonian to Medo-Persian. And it said um, Darius was uh, not 70, but 62. (laughs) Just checking, make sure she's listening down here. Taking notes, right? It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one. So he's ruling the world. And he has evidently 120 um, governors, mayors, call them what you want to. But over them, he placed three governors. And one of them was Daniel in verse 2. That the the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. So they, in other words, kept check, charge of the books, so on and so forth. But then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Darius, like Nebuchadnezzar, after he had Daniel tested for those three years, he had a quiz with him. And you know how that came out. There wasn't anybody found better and wiser. Matter of fact, this is 10 times better and wiser than all of the other wise men in Babylon. And now Darius is watching his overseers, but Daniel's sticking out head and shoulders above these other two guys. And he's starting to think, what do I need these other two guys for? Daniel would do a better job of being the the main overseer. Uh, Daniel not only had um, seniority in his group, um, but he possessed, as we're told, an excellent spirit. It means Daniel was a spirit-filled man, and the king had such confidence in him that he was thinking about placing Daniel next to himself, just as Nebuchadnezzar had raised up Daniel to be second in command, 
So now Darius is thinking about doing exactly the same thing. However, what happens is verse four through nine, let's read that. And so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Um, They're intimidated. Um, They're worrying about losing their position. Um, And so they're trying to find fault. They're fault finders. And they had to come up with something to pin on Daniel, but they couldn't find anything. No charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault in him. And this is true throughout the whole book of Daniel. Nothing bad is said about Daniel. Uh, uh, These men said, we've, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the laws of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to the king, O king, Darius, live forever. So who are these um, guys that are stirring the pot, so to speak? Um, these men, go back to verse two, are the two other governors that feel that their position is being threatened. And um, they set out and they get all these other guys together to make a consensus and they decide they're gonna make a brand new law. And so in verse six, these guys get together and they go before Darius. And this, this is flattery <laughs> at its highest peak. Um, King Darius lived forever. All the Governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute or decree. And we want to make a firm decree that whoever positions any god or man for the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree Um, sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So they're, they're really schmoozing him. That's the word I would use here. They're really buttering him up, flattery all over the place. The problem is he's, um, he's buying into it. Now here is where I'll make a, a, a mention between Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. Um, if this was Nebuchadnezzar, that's it. I like, I like using the saying, if he said it was Tuesday and it was Monday, then it's Tuesday. And if he said you're gonna die, nothing, if he changed his mind, he could. But not here. So evidently what they had come up with and the difference between the head of gold and silver is Darius did not have um, the prestige or the power that Nebuchadnezzar had. Therefore, silver represents it instead of the gold. Um, these men flattered Darius and he yielded to it. My thought, um, he probably thought to himself, this is great. So they drafted the bill, made it a, um, a statute, Uh, and thus elevated himself to the position of actually deity because prayers were to be offered to him and him only. 
And what he doesn't realize um, that um, he's setting Daniel up and he doesn't realize that they have a motive other than really wanting to honor him. They just want to keep their positions. So they come up with this plot. All right, that brings us to verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he goes home and in his upper room with his window open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice, as was his custom since early days. These guys knew it. Everybody knew it. Because Daniel's daily routine was um, he goes to the room that is facing towards Jerusalem. And he, this is something he did three times every day. Uh, people be walking by his, his residence. He's one of the most powerful men in the world. Everybody knew where he lived. And everybody knew three times a day, Daniel's down on his knees looking towards Jerusalem. Let me just make a little point about praying towards Jerusalem. The Orthodox um, Jews, whenever we um, get on a plane and we're flying to Israel, it's always an overnighter. And about the time of the evening prayers, what they do is the Orthodox will cover their head and they will determine which way Jerusalem is. And when they've determined which way Jerusalem is, just like Daniel faced Jerusalem here, they do that to this day. Uh, No matter if you're Orthodox, when it comes to that time, you face Jerusalem. And... um, I've seen it many, many times where they're gathered and they're all looking in that one direction so we know which way Jerusalem is. And um, uh, this was a custom that goes way back to uh, Daniel's time. Uh, Verse 11 through 13. uh, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Uh, And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. They said, haven't you signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Now, he's going to want to change this, but he can't. He's going to find out in the next couple of verses he's been duped. So they answered and said before the king, well, that Daniel, who is one of the captains from Judah, he does not show due regard to you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He breaks your law every day, three times a day. Now, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased, notice with, himself. Okay, the lights go on. He sees these guys for who they really are. You had no concern about making a decree to pray to me. What you were looking for is to find some fault with Daniel, and Darius likes Daniel. So he's mad at himself for being suckered into this, and now he realizes what he's really, these guys are really up to, and there's nothing he can do about it. Because it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. If you sign it, nothing can erase it, unlike Nebuchadnezzar. If Nebuchadnezzar wanted to undo this, it was a done deal. With Darius, 
He's locked in. And there's absolutely nothing he can do because it's his decree and he signed it. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. I wonder what he tried to come up with. He knows he's locked into this, but he, he, there's nothing um, that he can really um, do to change the decree that's been given. Then these men, verse 15, approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. And they're reminding him, this is, um, their, their job is to have Daniel be thrown to, literally, this is, here's another phrase that we use today, we got, I got thrown through the lions. <laughs> and we use that one today, all these one-liners that we have, this is a lot, the writing's on the wall, and your, your number is up, and there's so many of them that, that, are, that just come from the book of Daniel. So Daniel, um, 16 to 23, so the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continual, continually, he will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No music, no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. And when he was starting to get earlier in the morning. The king arose, verse 19, early in the morning and went in in haste to the den of the lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And I just can imagine him waiting, which must have seemed like forever, if there was going to be any sort of a response. And all of a sudden, in verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Daniel had a good night's sleep. Darius didn't. He was up all night. But, um, you know, the application for what's going on here the same thing that's going to, that happened to those men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, remember? They were the ones that perished. Well, same thing's gonna happen here. The guys that wanted Daniel killed by the lions, they themselves are going to be, and their family. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. It's exactly the same event. The Daniel's being gracious here. Uh, Daniel was polite and respectful, greeting. Um, it, it was as if, as Daniel said, did you have a good night? <laughs> and of course, the king had not had a good night, but Daniel did. Uh, Daniel evidently had been given the same assurance as had his three friends in a fiery furnace that God would deliver him, his angel, 
was evidently the same one Nebuchadnezzar had seen in the fiery furnace. The fourth one that was there said, looked like the son of God. So what we have here in, in chapter three is what we call a Christophanies, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord. And um, I personally believe that this was the Lord himself that was in the lion's den with Daniel. And I think he got a good night's sleep. And so here, let's um, bring in a reality check. First of all, I want to make mention uh, to your news bites. And this article here, Nose Days in a Microcosm, talks about the violence that's going on in the world today. It's unprecedented. It's like nothing we've ever seen before in the world. And um, uh, now we have lawlessness not just in America, in the whole world. And I was watching the news tonight. Um, They said uh, nine people have OD'd, um, and who knows what of, just in the valley here. And what they want to do is institute a new law temporarily. They don't want any more people to OD, heroin, methamphetamines, whatever. What they're telling, the, uh, was what I saw, and if I understood it right, on the news tonight, was um, we want you to get treatment. You can tell us that you're addicted to, let's say, meth, and we will not bring any charges against you, and we will let you go to a rehab, but we don't want any more people ODing. And that's just the ones that we know about. I thought they said nine, and uh, you can check me up on that one. It should be easy to to find out. But I, I can't imagine people who have don't have what we have. Daniel's at peace, and Darius, he's the one who didn't get any sleep that night because he, he got conned. I have... Let's read verse 22 again. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. All right, let's just stop here. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews 11 uh, picking it up, and let's start with verse 32. Yeah, 32 is a good place to start. This we call the hall of faith. And um, verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, Obtain promises, stop the mouth of lions. This is a reference to Daniel. Quench the violence of fire, I believe, is a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle. Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their uh, dead to life again. This is a reference to what we talked about on Sunday when we talked about Elisha. 
Uh, that was one of the miracles that he did. So here, in Hebrews 11, uh, it, this verse 34 is a reference to our study tonight in Daniel chapter six. They stopped the mouth of lions. Daniel had a prayer life, and he had faith. And Darius says, oh, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you from the lions? Yep. And it's recorded for us. Let's go back to uh, Daniel 6. Talking about the Lord turning the tables just like he did in chapter 3 with the men that um, were killed. We find now in verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that day they should take Daniel out of the den. And so Daniel was taken out of the den and no injury, uh, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. All right, payback time. Um, He realizes he's been um, uh, set up He realizes that they wanted Daniel out so they would keep their position. But the king doesn't even want to see these guys again, these two other governors. So what does he do? The king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel. Um, This is one of the commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And they were doing just that. And they cast them into the den of lions, them their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in the body before they even came to the bottom of the den. This is Medo-Persian law, but it's not Jewish law. I want to show you Jewish law. To do that, you need to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. Israel had a law Verse 16 of 24 says, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. The children were innocent. This is Jewish law. And so if the father committed a crime, then it wasn't the the fault of the child, and the child couldn't be punished accordingly, and vice versa. Nor shall the children be put to death for, for their father. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not perverse justice. And so we find um, they're in Babylon. They're under the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which, which cannot be broken. And so what does Darius do? He says, all right, I'm going to make another law. And the law is you, your family, and everything that, uh, that is yours um, are going to be thrown into the lion's den, and um, uh, this shows us that those lions weren't passive at all, but in a, I suppose in the same way that the Lord um, was able to ride on an animal that had never been ridden on before, any of you who have horses or donkeys know that you just don't do that. You have to break that horse first. So the calming effect that Jesus had on that donkey was the same effect that he had on these lions. Um, you know, during the millennial reign, what, what does it tell us? The same, that animosity in the animal kingdom. Um, they're not going to be man-eaters anymore. The lion will lay down with the lamb. 
So we have the curse removed. And um, a little child will play by the cobra's den, it says, or the viper's den. So all those natural hostilities that is there, I saw a brown lab at the bottom of the hill. I knew he was loose from his owner because I hadn't seen him only a couple times before. And I, I saw him go down, and all of a sudden, I see this little doe, and I mean it was real, real small, and trying the best this little deer could to stay in front of this Labrador. What's your point, Dwight? Well, if, if you're a dog, you chase deers, and that's just a, a simple fact. It's in their nature. And that little thing was going as fast as it could. I see the dog come back after about 10 minutes and just... <laughs> he's totally tired. And I'm thinking, well, I wonder, I wonder if the little fellow made it or not. Um, that won't happen during the millennial reign. That's, that characteristic in the animal kingdom will simply be gone. So if you guys want a pet lion, you can have one. Let's finish this up. And we find in verse 25, like Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree, so does Darius. So in verse 25 through 28, then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, Men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Evidently Daniel filled them in on that. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So Daniel prospered, and I'll just stop there. Daniel's position now is secure. The two that want him gone, they're they're gone. And it's maintained to the end of his life, which came during the reign of Cyrus. It was Cyrus who made the decree permitting the Jews to return to uh, Jerusalem. And I'm gonna take you there in just a second. Um, This concludes the strictly historical section of the book of Daniel. From this point on, the book will mainly be concerned with the visions and prophecies which were given to Daniel over the very long period of his life in a foreign land. The last verse, 28, so Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now I'm gonna get, in closing, I wanna uh, do a little sidetrack here and have you turn, if you would please, to Second Chronicles 36. Draw your attention to verse 22. All right, this is, um, and those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath as long as the land was desolate. So now turn to Ezra chapter one, which is the next book over. And while you're turning there, I'm gonna 
read this. This is from Josephus. And where I wanted you to turn was Isaiah chapter 44. So uh, let's, if you're in Isaiah, we'll do that Isaiah one first, but then or the Ezra one first. According to jo- Josephus, when Cyrus made his grand entrance into Babylon, so we know that Darius reigned for two years and now Cyrus is going to come in. What Josephus re- records when he made this grand entrance into Babylon, the elderly Daniel greeted him with the scroll of the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, where we will be going. It was written 150 years earlier, addressing Cyrus by name. It describes Cyrus, his tactics in Babylon, which was not a mighty power when Isaiah wrote it. Therefore, Cyrus became a believer, although loosely as, as reflected in Ezra um, chapter one. So if you're in Ezra chapter one, so here's the scene. Cyrus now comes in, and here's Daniel, and he's got a, a copy that's 150 years old of the prophet Isaiah. It's confirmed also here in the first couple of verses of Ezra. We'll go to Isaiah after this. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Well, how did he know that? Through Daniel. Who is there among you of all people? May his God be with him. Now let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever remains in any place where he sojourns, Let the man of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock. Now remember, this is the king of the whole world, and he's giving this decree, and now he's saying, wherever you run across the Jew, make sure you give him some money, and um, give them livestock, and besides that, the free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah, um, chapter 44. Chapter 44, verse 27. And this is what, according to Josephus, can you imagine Daniel walking up and he opens up the book of Isaiah and he said, here's your name. It was written 150 years ago. It had to blow his mind. So let's pick it up in verse 27. Um... And I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry? And I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, my shepherd? Now Daniel was showing this to the king and it was written 150 years earlier. And he shall perform all my pleasure and even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation will be laid. Chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have made to subdue nations before him, 
to loose the armor of his kings. I wonder, Cyrus, uh, a man, had to think from time to time, how in the world did I ever get to be the most powerful man on planet Earth? And now he's reading about it. He says, I'm going to anoint you. You're going to be my right hand. To open before him the double doors, the gates that uh, will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked place straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I am the Lord who called you by your name am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, for I have called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, uh, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. That kind of wrecks a coexist bumper sticker, doesn't it? <laughs> and the many ways. I am the light and it created that created darkness. I'll make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Imagine being Cyrus. And then um, he's just basically getting marching orders here so that when he go back to Ezra chapter one, he gives the decree. And he says, I want you to go back. And um, the Jews, when they did go back, there were less than 50,000 that went back. And uh, they had settled in and gotten comfortable living in Babylon. And uh, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra is really about them going there to encourage them because when Nehemiah goes and checks the place out, um, all, all the walls are down. Nobody's doing anything except working on their own house, the house of the Lord. The command was given, go back and build the house of the Lord. It wasn't being done. And um, it took Nehemiah and, and Ezra uh, to uh, get busy in serving the Lord. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from there. When they finally got their act together, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. And the reason for that was for the people had a mind to work. But they needed a good Bible study to get encouraged. And that's what we find in Nehemiah and Ezra and those books where he says, you guys are... You're blowing it big time. And the application for us is that uh, we need to be about our father's business. I don't think I asked for an amen all night. There's a good one. We need to be about our father's business, especially now, more than ever. Uh, As you see the day approaching, take advantage of uh, your opportunities. Um, With that, we come to the end of Daniel chapter six. I just want to point out one more thing because we do have a little bit of time left. Um, the book of Daniel, go back to chapter six where we just closed, and notice that it's not written in a chronological order because it says in verse one of chapter seven, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So now we're going back before chapter six 
And when we get in chapter seven, basically it's um, chapter two, only different idioms are used. And I find it very, very interesting because the idioms that are used here, we're gonna be introduced to the Antichrist, but the terminology here really fits um, when we begin to describe uh, the creatures that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. So with that being said, let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And again, Lord, with we stand in awe and wonder at Bible prophecy and how it must have affected Cyrus when he met Daniel, old in age, uh, to see his own name written in the scriptures. Lord, your word tells us that for the ages to come, you're going to be opening the scriptures up to us. And um, we thank you for what you've shown us even now, especially in the times that we live and events that are unfolding right before our eyes. And I pray through it all, Lord, that we would have uh, the peace that Daniel had when he was in the lion's den. Your word tells us that the devil, uh, the God of this world, does go about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Lord, keep us in a place uh, where Daniel was. We're continually praying, continually trusting you, and just having that peace that um, you promised, Lord. You promised to give us your peace, not as the world gives, but the peace that uh, is your own. That, that we're grateful. Go for the rest of our night. I do pray for Sunday morning, Lord, um, that you'd bless the teaching, but also the short video that we're going to be showing. In Jesus' name, amen. Make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Imagine being Cyrus. And then um, he's just basically getting marching orders here so that when you go back to Ezra chapter one, he gives the decree. And he says, I want you to go back. And um, the Jews, when they did go back, there were less than 50,000 that went back. And uh, they had settled in and gotten comfortable living in Babylon. And uh, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra is really about them going there to encourage them because when Nehemiah goes and checks the place out, um, all, all the walls are down. Nobody's doing anything except working on their own house, the house of the Lord. The command was given, go back and build the house of the Lord. It wasn't being done. And um, it took Nehemiah and, and Ezra uh, to get busy in serving the Lord. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from there. When they finally got their act together, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. And the reason for that was for the people had a mind to work. But they needed a good Bible study to get encouraged. And that's what we find in Nehemiah and Ezra and those books where... He says, you guys are, you're blowing it big time. And the application for us is that uh, we need to be about our father's business. I don't think I asked for an amen all night. There's a good one. We need to be about our father's business, especially now, more than ever.
uh, as you see the day approaching, take advantage of uh, your opportunities. Um, With that, we come to the end of Daniel chapter 6. I just want to point out one more thing because we do have a little bit of time left. Um, The book of Daniel, go back to chapter 6 where we just closed. And notice that it's not written in a chronological order. Because it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So now we're going back before chapter 6. And when we get in chapter 7, basically, it's um, chapter 2, only different idioms are used. And I find it very, very interesting because the idioms that are used here, we're going to be introduced to the Antichrist, but the terminology here really fits um, when we begin to describe uh, the creatures that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. So with that being said, let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And again, Lord, with, we stand in awe and wonder at Bible prophecy and how it must have affected Cyrus when he met Daniel, old in age, uh, to see his own name written in the scriptures. Lord, your word tells us that for the ages to come, you're gonna be opening the scriptures up to us. And um, we thank you for what you've shown us even now, especially in the times that we live and events that are unfolding right before our eyes. And I pray through it all, Lord, that we would have uh, the peace that Daniel had when he was in the lion's den. Your word tells us that the devil Uh, The God of this world does go about like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. Lord, keep us in a place uh, where Daniel was. We're continually praying, continually trusting you, and just having that peace that um, you promised, Lord. You promised to give us your peace, not as the world gives, but the peace that uh, is your own. That we're grateful. Go for the rest of our night. I do pray for Sunday morning, Lord, um, that you'd bless the teaching, but also the short video that we're going to be showing. In Jesus' name, amen.